Hey guys, this is David Benjamin from the Healthy, Wild, and Free podcast. Today we have on the show Nate Bagley. He's the creator of the Love Umentary, a project dedicated to revealing what truly happy, healthy relationships have in common. He's traveled all over the United States and spoken with hundreds of couples to learn what makes their relationships so incredible. He shares those insights via his blog and podcast, which can be found at loveumentary.com. And I'll link that up in the show notes as well as on the blog. Nate also recently co-founded Unbox Love, a subscription service that delivers a day in a box to your doorstep every single month. Unbox Love is designed to provide couples with everything they need to experience fun, creative, and engaging dates with little to no planning on their part. Nate is dedicated to helping people learn about love and improve their relationships regardless of the stage of life they're in. He believes the key to happiness is to choose what you love, then love what you choose. The cool thing about this guest today is that in the past, most of the guests I've had on the show are about kind of body wellness and body health, whether it be diet or fitness related, yoga, some meditation. Uh, this We're going to get into more the emotional side of things, uh, the, the mental side of things, and how love plays an incredible role in our lives and our health and well-being and overall happiness. Uh, Nate, how are you doing today? Welcome to the show. I am doing really well. Thanks for having me, David. Uh, glad you could be here and uh, really excited for this interview. Um, the first question I want to ask you, uh, actually before we get into uh, this interesting content, is how did you first get started and get interested in, in love and relationships and what what drew you into that? Um, I honestly, I, I, I had the hope of one day being in a, an amazing relationship. Um, I think being in love is the best feeling in the world. And uh, the older I got, I started to realize that a lot of my relationships were failing over and over and over again. And um, typically, I, I like to think that when you keep experiencing the same results, when you're involved with something like that, uh, maybe the problem wasn't so much the girls I was dating, maybe the problem was me. Um, so I really, if I wanted to have a really healthy relationship, I, I wanted to know what that looked like. And so I decided to set out and start talking to couples um, and figure out what it is that the happiest couples did differently than everybody else. And maybe I could figure out what I was doing wrong and implement some of the stuff that they were doing to have really, really healthy, lasting relationships instead of these kind of like churn and burn uh, really quick burnout relationships, and it's been just—I've learned so much. It's been the most incredible journey, sitting at the feet of some of these people who just have the most incredible stories, mind-blowing stories that you could even imagine. So it all started with that—that that desire to just really have a truly meaningful relationship and to figure out what it is that goes into it. Interesting. I think it's interesting too that you mentioned that. You said it. It may have been you in the relationship that that you know needed to work on some things. From your experience, and you know, having talked to hundreds of couples, how often is it that someone is willing to look at themselves, and and how important is that in in progressing and evolving in a relationship? Uh, I think it's really easy to play the victim card. Um, so I think most people typically find it much much easier to put the blame on other people for their problems and whether it's in just life professionally or in their own relationships. So um, when I started taking a look in the mirror, I started to realize all of the things that I was doing wrong. And I think if people were truly honest with themselves, the majority of their relationship issues could probably 
be traced back to at least in part themselves. But and that's that's setting aside things like uh, like physical abuse or like substance abuse. Um, other than that, I think most people have way more control over the quality of their relationships than than they allow themselves to believe. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So one of the biggest, uh, for me specifically, and for a lot of our listeners, one of the biggest reasons they listen to this podcast is so that they can be healthier, uh, have a better sense of well-being, and just be happier overall, uh, and really just have more ease in life. And I think a huge a huge aspect of life is relationships and, and how much you love. And uh, if if there's not a lot of ease in those relationships, it's a very gritty struggle. So yeah. for those people who you know are looking to uh, improve the relationships uh, and their love life, what what tangible benefits come from that on a, on a kind of health and well-being level? It's a great question. Um, you know, I, I, I like to cycle backwards a little bit just for a second to kind of set up so I can give an appropriate answer. Um, I think one of the most insightful things that I learned on this journey is that to really be in a successful, healthy, happy, long-term relationship, you have to practice self-love. You, it's essential. If you... If you found the happiest couple in the world or one of the happiest couples in the world, the thing that I found that's really consistent with these people is that if you took them away from each other, they would still be independently happy, healthy individuals. They have learned the art of self-care. Um, there's, I interviewed one uh, lady named Lara Doyle, and uh, she wrote a book called uh, The Surrendered Wife. And one of the things she talks about is how in her, her life, um, her relationship really started to flourish when she let go of trying to control her husband and instead started focusing on taking care of herself on, on a regular basis. She stopped needing her husband to validate her and to basically make her happy and decided that she was going to make herself happy. So she suggests to all of her clients and her readers um, that people, that women, she's specifically with women, but this applies to anybody, um, that you make a list of things that make you happy and that you do at least one, two, three things on those lists every single day. So whether that's working out, whether that's uh, you know doing some yoga, some meditation, reading a book, um, whatever it is that promotes happiness and wellness within and personal wellness within yourself, that is going to it's essential to do those things to have a really happy, healthy relationship. So if you get into to answer your question now, like what what is it specifically about love that um, has a physical or like more real world benefit. If you look at love as um, first taking care of yourself and then taking care of your partner, the healthiest relationships are built off of that self care and that self love. And love is definitely an action word. Love is, it's not like a feeling. It's not something you feel when you love somebody, you display actions towards them, including yourself. When you love yourself, you display actions towards them. And so um, like, Simply the the act of choosing passion, um, like uh, I I know one couple I interviewed, they made a goal in their marriage. They've been married for seven years now, and they made the goal that every time they kiss each other, the goodbye for the day, they have their kiss has to last ten seconds or longer. And like the simple the simple act of kissing passionately, it has so many physical benefits. Like from reducing your blood pressure to in increasing circulation. So like it can help re- relieve headaches or cramps. Um, it releases obviously like a, a good passionate kiss 
releases serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin in your brain. So you have that like that release of feel good chemicals that gives you a boost and that helps to like combat um, some of those more negative emotional feelings. Uh, you burn calories when you make out, obviously, or when you have sex. Um, it's uh, kissing is even like a really good reminder of, or uh, a way to find out if you're sexually compatible with somebody. So, you know, you're, you get a, you get a physical workout and oftentimes like a psychological workout just by the act of choosing pa- passion. And I, I look at a lot of couples who get kind of coaxed into complacency in their relationships. And after, you know, sometimes a couple of months, but typically a couple of years, a kiss is just a peck. They, they don't kiss passionately very often, but the simple act of just kissing passionately on a regular basis can have huge physical uh, ramifications in your, in your relationship, even like incre- increasing saliva flow and preventing cavities. Like they're little things, but they go, they go a long way. Mm-hmm. And that actually probably uh, improves your digestion as well. Cause the more saliva you have, the easier the food breaks down. So you're, there you go. You're losing weight by kissing. <laughs> well, I Ab- <laughs> if that's not incentive enough, I don't know what is. <laughs> I don't want to make any claims that FDA will come after me for, but it's possible. I'll just leave it at that. Possible. I, I believe in miracles. <laughs> yeah, I do too. That's what love's about. Um, quick question on the self-care and self-love, just to kind of go back to that for a minute. Yeah. I find it really interesting because in my life personally, there was a point where I looked at uh, healthier foods and healthier options, you know, whether it be food or just a gym membership or whatever it may be, and I thought, oh, you know, I don't, I don't want to pay extra for that, or I don't want to, you know, go over and above, and you know, why, why get that healthy food when I can just get this cheap junk food? And what I realized over time was that because I didn't love myself enough and I didn't care enough for myself, I chose to kind of settle for the low end, the low, low-hanging fruit, if you will, uh, in life in general, uh, and, and specifically, uh, you know, in the self-care and self-love kind of categories. So. With that being said, I think that a lot of people are still kind of struggling to, to take care of themselves, to, you know, self-care and self-love. Um, what, what are a few tips you would give those people on how to start seeing things differently and understanding the true importance of that in their lives? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think one of the hardest things to practice in our society because we're constantly comparing ourselves to everybody else's highlight reel. Like you open up your phone and you have Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and people are posting pictures of like their vacations and their beach bodies and their amazing lives. And it's like this highlight reel and they never, they never post about their problems. And when they do, we just ignore it because like we don't want to hear about your problems, you know? And so we start comparing ourselves to that and it's really easy to get down on yourself. It's really easy to kind of do the whole woe is me. My life isn't great. I don't have the right car. I don't have the right girlfriend or boyfriend. I don't have, I'm not living in the right city. I don't have the right job. I don't have enough money. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not, you know, I'm not ripped. Um, and we get, we, we start like talking really negatively to ourselves. And I think self care and self love starts with treating yourself the way that you would treat somebody that you love. Um, it's, it's really, it's really easy to like, if we go back to love, love is an action word. Um, self love requires action. So something as simple as not allowing yourself to speak negatively to yourself or like encouraging when, when you, 
let's talk about actually what are the what are the types of things you do when you love somebody? Like you specifically, David, what do you do when you love somebody? How do you treat them? Uh, you know, obviously, like words of encouragement, um, intimacy. Um, you know, just being there for them when they need it, that kind of thing. Yeah, perfect. Uh, like you forgive them when they treat you poorly. You make time for them in your life. You encourage them to do things that are maybe beyond their their reach at the moment. Like you want to see them grow. You compliment them, and we do all these things for other people, but we don't do them for ourselves. Like how when was you know if you really want to practice self love, you have to step back and say, okay, I'm going to make time for myself, or I'm going to forgive myself, or I'm not going to speak poorly of myself. I'm going to allow myself to like give me look myself in the mirror and give me compliments. It seems really like kind of trivial and trite and kind of weird, but really, like, that's what love is. Love is an action. It's, it's actually doing something to benefit the life of somebody else or yourself. And so if you're, if you're lacking in the self-love department, I would start by making a list, like what Laura, Laura Doyle said, make a list of things that just make you feel good. You know, maybe it's going for a run. Maybe it's writing in your journal. Maybe it's, like, spending some time cooking a meal, maybe, you know, it's going to the movies, whatever it is, like make a list of 20 to 30 things and start including those things in your daily, your daily practice. And you'll start to see as you treat yourself differently, you start thinking and feeling differently about yourself as well. Mm -hmm. Just based on the way you really just talk to yourself, is, is, is that kind of the main thing it comes down to then? Yeah, the way that you talk to yourself and the way that you treat yourself. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, it's more than just words. It's actions as well. Right. You know, like the, like what you said, the simple act of feeding yourself healthy food. You're telling yourself, hey, I'm important enough to make an investment to put something beneficial into my body instead of something that's junky. Mm -hmm. You know? Or I'm important enough to wake up a half hour earlier to exercise because when I exercise, I feel better. And that's an investment I make. It may be uncomfortable, but it's an investment I make because for the rest of the day, I have this rush of endorphins and I feel good about myself because I accomplished something, you know, and investing in yourself and showing yourself that you're worth it through the way that you treat yourself. Right. I'm glad you brought up that point because I think a lot of times people are looking for the ideal relationship or the quote-unquote other half, if you will, when they aren't bringing their true fullest half to the table because... Uh, they don't take care of themselves. They don't fully love themselves. And when you do that, it's an investment into yourself that allows you to bring your best self to the table, which allows you to have the most optimal relationship at that point in your life. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. Uh, another question I have kind of on the self-care and self-love note would be, for someone, like you mentioned uh, with Laura, I believe it was, she stopped kind of nitpicking at her husband and decided to take care of herself and love herself. Uh, the question I would have around that would be, sometimes it seems like, and it, maybe this is you know false or <laughs> not really sure, but sometimes it seems like when someone kind of uh, nitpicks or uh, you know says certain things to you, it's because they care about and love you. It's it's a it's an act of uh, I don't know how to I don't know how to describe that, but you understand what I'm saying. And yeah. Whereas if they were to just start working on themselves and forget that. It may seem, or it may come across like a selfish act. So, how do you find that balance in, in in that relationship? And are there personality traits, or what what goes into this melting pot that creates that? That's a great question. Um, Simon Sinek said something really interesting in his book called uh, "Start with Why," and he said there's two ways to manipulate human behavior, or uh, two ways to 
in, to affect, not manipulate, two ways to affect human behavior. One is manipulation and the other one is inspiration. And so there's, if you even get into healthy, like the healthy eating or fitness world, like when, when you discover how good you feel when you feed your body well, or when you discover how good you feel when you work out every day and you're physically fit, uh, it's really easy to want to evangelize and get out in the world and like preach to people, right? Mm-hmm. Like we see that a lot on, on blogs, celebrities do it all the time. There's like always that guy at the party who's like wearing his CrossFit t-shirt and cannot stop talking about CrossFit, you know? <laughs> yeah. Because it changed him. It changed him and he wants you to benefit from it too, you know? It's like, oh, come to, oh, CrossFit's the best thing ever or whatever, you know, like right. we, we can't shut up about it. But like most people, they don't want to change until they're ready. It doesn't matter how much you talk to them about the nutritional benefits of kale and it doesn't matter how uh, how great your abs look after doing a bajillion burpees like people don't change until they're ready and by telling them what they're doing wrong and trying to like educate them and inform them and force them and manipulate them into doing what you think what you found is best they're just going to end up building up resentment and they're going to end up uh building up like animosity they're not going to want to change um people change when you inspire them to change and that includes love as well like in, in any type of relationship you Nobody likes a nag. Nobody likes somebody who knows it all. Nobody likes to be told what to do. Nobody likes to be held up to an ideal. Um, but when you start showing up in your relationship in, in a different way and, in a, and you start living through your values, whether that's a value of health or a value of love or a value of um, kindness or whatever, and you start showing up and just basically giving an example of what you want your relationship to look like, and living that way, people more often than not will rise to the occasion. Like when you start eating really healthy, people start without saying anything about it. People start thinking, "Oh, I wonder if I should maybe step up my game a little bit, or you know, maybe I won't order dessert, or maybe I'll you know lay off the carbs or whatever." And it's the same in a relationship. If you show up and you're like quick to forgive, and you're kind and compassionate and you're honest and you you live your life with integrity, your partner will typically sense that instead of and instead of being like on the defensive because you're preaching to them and trying to convert them and trying to change them, they feel a lot more comfortable stepping into a new lifestyle because they feel that it's almost like an invitation. Mm-hmm. They they see what you're creating and they're inspired to rise to the level that you're living at. Um so, yeah, I would say that, that, that's probably how I'd answer that question is uh, if you really want to change somebody, focus more. I guess you can't really change anybody, but if you want to change your relationships or if you want to um, affect human behavior, focus more on inspiring people and less on trying to manipulate them into doing what you think they should be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a great answer. I think that uh, the kind of like the way you put it, manipulation is more of an external action, more of a talking external action, whereas inspiration is choosing to live and be that internally, which is really harder to do, but that work pays off because once you decide to live that way, you inspire yourself and then you inspire those outside of you. So it's more of a, it's more of a mirroring uh, progressive change as opposed to something that gets cut off and then creates more manipulation back and forth. So, uh, and that's a great book, by the way. Start with why I actually read that a few months ago. 
Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. So, okay, so beyond, so you have, you know, this, this relationship, and it's uh, obviously relationships take time to develop. In your experience from the, the couples that you've talked to, what, what are some of the key things, what are some of the key uh, actions and, and uh, consistent habits that, are, that couples consciously create in their lives and in their relationships to progress those relationships and to create more love and, and uh, positive inspirational change? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the, f- the first thing, obviously, is that self-love principle. If you don't have that, you don't have anything. Mm-hmm. Because if you, if, you, if you think about, you, you literally, you can't give something that you don't have. Um, so if you really want to give love, you have to have it first. If I can't give you 20 bucks unless I've earned it myself first. Otherwise, I'm going into debt, you know? Um, so that same principle applies. And then if you've ever tried to love somebody who doesn't love themselves, it's like, it's it's the worst thing in the world trying to convince somebody that they're great and wonderful and that they have all these positive qualities and they just can't accept them. They can't they can't accept it. Um, it's so frustrating. Hey, I love you. You're so great. You're so wonderful. No, I'm not. Oh, but you're you're so beautiful and you're so sweet. And so, no, I'm not. It's like oh, yes, you are. And you can't have a healthy relationship if you constantly have to be beating somebody over the head with how much you love them and they just don't accept it. Um, so, so, so that's, real, real quick, do you think that acceptance has to do with self-care and self-love solely? I think that's the very foundation of where it starts. Okay. Um, and obviously there's like varying degrees of, it's different for everybody's situation, but I think you have to start off with those principles of self-care and self-love uh, if you really want to have a quality, lasting relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, the next step, I think, is a level of integrity. And integrity to me means that you do what you say you will do. It's, it's very simple. If I say something, I do something. And that when, you, when you're a person who lives a life of integrity, you open up, you gain power in your relationships and you gain power in every aspect of your life. Like professionally, Everybody wants to work with somebody who follows through on what they commit to do. Mm-hmm. You know, they, if you can operate on a handshake with somebody, like, they're going to do business with you forever. And the same thing happens in a relationship. If, that, if your partner can trust you, if you operate with integrity and you're the kind of person that always says, always does what they say they will do, all of a sudden you have this trust that will always be there. You have this level of commitment that will always be present. You have this level of closeness you have this level of, uh, like, you have an opportunity to be vulnerable. You can open up and share things that might be scary to share with other people. But if you have, if you've built up and lived with integrity and you've built that trust and you've built that closeness, all of a sudden being vulnerable is easy because you know that person is going to be there because they promised they would be and they're a person of their word. Mm-hmm. So, so living a life of integrity, I think, is a huge, huge next step. And then um, there's also a level of intentionality. And what I, what I mean when I say intentionality is, like, there's certain people who uh, intention, live their lives with intention in that they, they create opportunities to make memories or to make every moment count um, rather than just, like, letting life slide past them. So it's, it's really easy to just, like, watch TV or it's really easy to... Like, let's say you're dating somebody, plan dinner and a movie. 
instead of like planning a really exciting date, you know, especially the farther on you get in your relationship, it's easy to like get caught into a monotony, mm-hmm. a monot- monotonous relationship. But the couples who are truly happy are the couples who are constantly thinking, hey, what can I do for my spouse today? What can I do for my partner today? What can I do for my significant other that's like unusual? I, I know people who keep lists of, um, of, exp- uh, of like things that their partner likes and so they can surprise them with like love notes or with gifts or with experiences that are important to them. Um, a really great story that I have is of Josh and Jenny Solar. They live in Kansas City. I think, it, uh, yeah, anyway, they, they were, they're on a road trip with their family. And, um, in the middle of their trip, they're driving down the freeway and it starts to rain. It's like, downpour rain and and Josh pulls the car over to the side of the road and it and they've got the three kids in the back seat and Jenny his wife looks at him and goes says what what are you doing why are you pulling over and he's like get out of the car and she's like um what and he's like get out of the car and she's like I'm not getting out of the car it's raining cats and dogs out there why would I get out of the car and he's like get out of the car we're gonna make out in the rain and She's like, oh, my gosh, this is so crazy. And he turns around to the kids and says, kids, do you want to get out and play in the rain? And they said, no. And he said, okay, well, then you can watch me and mommy sit here, and we're going to – you can watch me and mommy get out of the car and kiss in the rain, and you can just sit here in the car. And it's like there's – most people during a rainstorm would complain at best. Maybe maybe just keep driving through the rain. But one guy in Kansas City decided to pull his car over and make a romantic moment with his wife and show his kids what romance is really all about. And there's this level of intentionality of, like, looking for a moment to experience connection. And it requires work and it requires effort, um, but the people who do it reap the benefits. Just like, just like eating healthy or just like exercising, like, there's people who are casual exercisers and there's people who, like, they take pretty decent care of themselves. You know, they eat decent food. But the moment you start really investing in taking care of yourself on a, or, or like really investing in yourself or investing in your partner, that's when you really get to see the results. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's an awesome story. Uh, spontaneous and romantic. And uh, I think anyone would admire that creativity and taking, taking, you know, lemons and turning them into lemonade, if you will. Uh, yeah. And they're the kind of couple that does this all the time. Like that's just the way they live their lives. Yeah, that's that's the coolest thing is this is that isn't like a one off experience. Right. You know, they're the kind of people who wake up early just to make each other breakfast in bed or, you know, when they have a bad day, they have a playlist of um, like 80s power ballad duets. And one of them has a bad day. They flip on a duet and they sing karaoke together to cheer each other up or like. At nighttime, when they do the dishes after dinner, they send the kids off to do their homework, and they play. Uh, they have a playlist of slow songs on Spotify, and they dance in the kitchen after they finish doing the dishes together. And they like find these little moments to kind of experience romance and connection and meaning. And you know, most people just don't do that. But those are the that that there's relationships out there where they actually do do that, and it's the most beautiful thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. It seems like there's two kind of paths you can go in as your as your relationship progresses. It's like you can choose to settle and kind of be content with where you're at and and kind of see the love uh, fade away over time, but still kind of have that kinship. 
and then there's there's a path where you can kind of rise to the occasion and uh, be spontaneous and um, go over above and beyond and and spend time and whatever maybe time money uh, to show your partner that you love them and you still love them to remind them and and kind of bring that connection closer and closer over time. Uh, is there something that causes and this is just kind of I don't know if this is uh, if you've seen this too often or not, but um, is there something do you think that causes someone to kind of choose to settle over time as opposed to rise and and be more uh, supportive and loving and spontaneous? Is there something is there some sort of action that causes friction within a relationship that you see that is very common that starts to kind of slowly break down the relationship and causes that separation over time? Um, I mean, there's a lot of things that can cause friction in a relationship. There's countless things. And and honestly, it boils down to whatever you allow to cause friction in your relationship will cause friction in in your relationship. Um, But I think that the most, probably the most uh, important thing that couples need but they don't have is a really good example. Um, people base their behaviors off of the examples that they have access to. Like, if you're new to the gym, you get a trainer, and you will do what your trainer teaches you to do. Or you look around, and you see what other people are doing at the gym, and you'll kind of, like, follow a guy from, like, machine to machine, or you go to a class, and you go to yoga, and there's there's an instructor there to walk you through. Um, But people do what other people show them how to do. And unfortunately, there's just not that many amazing examples of awesome relationships out there. There's not, there's not like a, a Mr. Universe or an Iron Man for relationships. You know, there's, there's no televised, hey, this is the ideal, this is what it looks like, this is what you could have if you put in tons of work and effort example. The people who have those, those types of relationships are typically more invested in, in those relationships than showing them off. So they exist, but people just don't have access to them, which is kind of what I got really passionate about, um, is finding those people and helping them to tell their story. Like, that's been the coolest thing about the last year and a half of my life, is I've been able to sit down with these people, and I've realized that when people do experience this friction and, the, and this, this kind of sense of complacency and this, this settling, it's because they haven't seen what I've had the opportunity to see. So I think once you kind of catch the vision of what's possible in a relationship, if people really knew what they could have, if they knew the quality of relationships and the the quality of love that they could experience in their life, they would never, ever be complacent. They would never, ever settle. But I think people just, like, get burned out. They get tired they get sucked into, like, it's just easier to be lazy, and they don't have a vision to inspire them. Um, and I think once you gain that vision of what's possible, once you meet a Josh and Jenny Solar or, uh, like, a Ty and Terry Schentzel, or, like, there's all these stories on the Loveumentary that you can go listen to, and you hear the, about these people's relationships, and it's like, holy crap, I want a relationship like that. And when people catch that vision, suddenly they're not willing to settle anymore. They're not willing to sell out. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Have you are, are you familiar with the five love languages by any chance? I love the five love languages. I interviewed Gary Chapman. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that a bit. Out of curiosity, how in relationships it seems like every once in a while 
you know, a lot of people, first of all, don't really understand the five love languages and, and how they play a role. Uh, so can you talk about that a bit and how that plays a role in helping to love your partner uh, in a way that gets across to them and isn't kind of blocked? Yeah. Uh, do, do you know Did you know that Gary Chapman almost got a divorce when he was not. younger? I did not. Yeah, so let me... Maybe the best way to describe how the love languages can benefit a relationship is to tell the actual author's story real quick. So Gary Chapman uh, was uh, had been married for a while, a couple of years, and he was in grad school studying to be a, a, a minister, a pastor. And um, when he got married, he had this idea of what what marriage should look like, and it was like his parents' marriage looked, you know. And it was very uh, traditional in that his dad would work nine to five and bring home the bacon, and his mom would take care of the house cleaning and the chores and, and like have dinner waiting on the table when dad got home. And so when Gary got married, that's kind of what he expected. And then as he was going through grad school, he noticed that like that wasn't how things were. And he started to resent his wife and he got really frustrated and she was frustrated with him and it was getting worse and worse and worse to the point where they were fighting on a regular basis. And then uh, Gary was getting ready to go preach a sermon to this congregation. And he basically said, um, that he had this impression and he had this vision of like uh, Jesus washing the feet of his apostles and how, you know, he's a religious guy, he's a pastor. And so he talked about how he felt impressed that like if he was going to really lead his family and be uh, like really love people, he needed to love his wife, he needed to serve her. And he's like, here I am, the biggest hypocrite in the world, getting ready to go preach a sermon to this big congregation about love and I didn't even love my wife. And so he had this like impression and he went home and he started telling his wife every day, like he'd go home every day and say, honey, what can I do for you? What can I do to help? And he started to realize that his wife really wanted him to perform acts of service. So he started emptying the dishwasher. He'd get home every day and empty the dishwasher and he'd get home every day and he'd vacuum, you know, once a week he'd vacuum the house. And every time he started doing these little things, she started to just really express appreciation for him. And over the next few months, their relationship started to repair and he started to feel like, he was valued because she would always express appreciation for him. And he, she was starting to feel valued because he was showing up and doing things for her. And he started to realize, oh, maybe there's like this language for love. And her, love, her language for love is acts of service. And mine is words of affirmation or words of appreciation. And so that's kind of like that, that principle saved his marriage. And then from there, he's, he did a lot of studying and research and found that there's five love languages. There's acts of service, words of affirmation, quality time, gift giving, and physical touch. And every the, people experience feeling loved in different ways. And so learning, you can actually go to the, his website and take the love language test to figure out what your love language is. But the idea is that um, oftentimes, like, if you're, maybe I, uh, I'm a gift giver, but the person that I am in love with is more of a physical touch person. And so I'm sitting here offering her gifts and gifts and gifts and gifts. And she's like, I don't want any of this crap. I just want you to hold me and kiss me and like cuddle with me and be, be here with me. And there's this huge disconnect. But once you understand what your partner's love language is and what your love language is, one, it helps the receiver to, to like go, oh, he got me a gift. That means he loves me. You don't have to like 
it, there's not a negative connotation to it, always trying to buy my love anymore. And on the flip side, if you know what your partner's love language is, you can show up differently for them and be like, oh, if her love language is physical touch, then I know I need to be making an effort to like physically touch her on a regular basis or offer acts of service if that's her love language or his love, love language or spend quality time with them, turn off your cell phone, eliminate distractions and sit down and like listen and engage in conversation. You know, it's it's just like this beautiful principle that, um, we all kind of have a different way of expressing and feeling loved and once you understand how people feel and express love, it makes it a lot easier to avoid some of that disconnect in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's great information. And I actually, I didn't know that story. It's been a while since I've read the book. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if that was in the book, but... I, I don't think it is. Okay. Uh, I, I got to sit in his office and he just told us that story and it was uh, really, really powerful. So, Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, as far as in a relationship, I think, you know, obviously, like I earlier, you know, I mentioned how, uh, you know, someone may be nitpicking or, uh, and then they kind of decided to put themselves first. Uh, why, and, and this is something that, you know, putting yourself first is self-care, self-love, but at the same time, putting yourself second in a relationship uh, shows, is, is a, really kind of an action to show your love for that individual. So, how do you find that balance there? Because I think, and just to kind of go off on a little tangent here, I think a, a huge a principle in life is really just balance, and health is balance, and uh, career is balance, relationships is balance, happiness yeah. is balance. I mean, really, balance is the core of everything uh, beneficial, I think, in life, to some degree at least. So how do you find the balance with putting yourself second in a relationship, but still finding time to, to, to take time for self-care and self-love uh, in that relationship? That's a great question. Uh, and honestly, you never find balance. I, um, I think it's really easy when we're raised in a system where there's always a right answer. Like you go through school and like in math, there's always a right answer. In English, there's always a, a right answer as far as like grammar and sentence structure and spelling. You know, in, in history, there's always a right answer. We take these tests and we go through basically the first 20 some odd years of our life. There's one right answer to every single question we get asked. Right. But in but in life, there is no right answer. There's no problem solving. There's problem maintenance, or like I, I like to think of most problems in in life or in relationships as a pendulum. And the pendulum just swings back and forth constantly. Uh, <clears throat> for example, like every, every relationship needs vulnerability to thrive. You, you have to be able to be vulnerable with each other and share things that are deeply personal and sometimes a little bit scary. You need to be able to, to um, connect emotionally with your partner. But if you get too, too vulnerable, you you get almost almost like uh, it's like over sherry and it, it's like smothering, and so then you need to balance that out with some independence. Like you can't be vulnerable all the time. So then you go and you have you have to be independent. You have to kind of live your own lives. You have to be an independent person. But if you're too independent, then there's no connection, and so you have to swing back to the vulnerability side. And life is in relationships in general are constantly a pendulum swinging back and forth. Like, I need to take care of myself a little bit more right now. Like, I've been neglecting myself. I need to invest in myself more. But if you invest in yourself too much, you start being selfish and you stop 
paying attention to the needs of your partner. And so you need to take care of yourself enough, but then realize, hey, like I need to also make time for my partner and start investing in them, and then the pendulum starts to swing back the other way. But if you invest too much in them, you lose sight of who you are and yourself and your own needs, and you need to be able to have that capacity, that self-awareness to check yourself and communicate that and say, hey, I need some time to myself. I need to invest in myself now. So I think it's, it's more of a maintaining uh, the problem managing the problem than solving the problem of uh, selfishness versus selflessness. Um, and it's just a thing that you never really have that perfect balance, and you never should. You're just constantly kind of fluctuating between the two. And as long as the fluctuation isn't extreme, you should have a pretty healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad you brought up vulnerability because in society, it seems like most people are not vulnerable at all. It seems it, it, it comes across as weakness. It comes across as uh, really just weakness. So why is vulnerability so important, and what what benefit do you get from being vulnerable in a relationship? Why is vulnerability important? Well, it's only important if you want to experience real deep connection. Um, so if that's it. Vulnerability is like when, is when you let down your guard and you let yourself be seen for who you truly are. And how can you really love somebody if you don't know who they are? Essentially, you would be if you if you can't be vulnerable, it just means that the people who love you only love you for the act that you put on for them and not for who you really are. And there's always this fear when you resist vulnerability that if people really knew everything about you, you would be unlovable. There's like some defect, there's some flaw, there's something wrong with you. And if they found out that about that skeleton in your closet or they found out about this weakness that you have or this problem that you're dealing with, that it would make you less worthy of love. And when you force yourself to confront that and let down those barriers and be seen for who you really are, warts and all, that it just allows for a much deeper sense of acceptance and love. And like, there's nothing more powerful than letting somebody see you for all that you are and having them go, Oh yeah, I see you. I see all of you. And I still love you. Like that's, that's the epitome of, of love right there is loving somebody for all that they are including their, their faults and their flaws and the things that they hate about themselves. Right. That's unconditional. Yeah. So there's, there's this, that's why I think it's important is that I don't think you can really truly experience love without vulnerability. I think it's an essential ingredient. Otherwise it's just like, it's a fake version of love. It's, it's the love you can't like, it's a love that you're trying to manufacture and love can't be manufactured. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. I want to talk a bit about finding an ideal partner. I think uh, for someone who's single and not in a relationship, finding an ideal partner, someone who is vulnerable, someone who is willing to love, open to love, uh, and and all these things, and is ready to love, uh, they want to have that kind of relationship. So what are there any things, any kind of secrets or, or tips you've learned along the way that help you kind of find the most ideal partner or any like red flags that kind of let you know, like you said earlier, uh, telling someone you love them over and over and they just don't accept it, uh, that's kind of a red flag that they're not ready to be loved. Are there any other red flags or kind of ways that you can navigate those waters to find the most ideal partner and to be in a happy, healthy, loving relationship? Yeah, I think the biggest red flag is if you um, 
first of all, to be able to recognize red flags clearly, you have to be practicing self-care and self-love. And I think the biggest red flags are when people, when you constantly find yourself losing, uh, or when some, when your relationship gets in violation of that self-love. Um, like if somebody is demanding something of you that is against your values or your principles, or if somebody uh, treats you in a way that makes you appreciate yourself less instead of appreciate yourself more, those are those are red flags. If if somebody doesn't make you want to be at your best self, that's a red flag. But I think a lot of people, when looking for an ideal mate, um, they go about it the wrong way. They look they're looking for what they can get out of the relationship instead of what they can put into it. And I think the best way um, to to find the love of your life is to just live a life that you love. Do the things that you love and be the kind of person that you want to fall in love with. Like if you want to fall in love with somebody who is forgiving and doesn't hold grudges, then you better dang well step up and start looking at your life and who you're holding grudges against and ask for some forgiveness and let go of that anger and that hurt. If you're the kind of person who wants to fall in love with somebody who gives compliments and who adores you and like tells you how great you are, you need to be the kind of person that steps up and tells other people in your daily life how great they are and how much they mean to you in your life. You know, you see these little things, these little qualities that you want in a relationship, you'll attract the type of people that have those qualities when you put them into practice yourself. Um, and true happiness in a relationship isn't found on a checklist. I, I honestly believe it's found, and I can tell you this from experience, like you will never feel more love than when you give it. So it's it's simply a matter of choosing somebody to love who is a basic... Like I had a, I had a friend um, who his coach made him write down a list of like the top 10 things that he wanted in a wife. And like, these are unnegotiable things that he just absolutely were super important to him in, in a wife. And so he made that list, put a lot of time and energy into it, ranked it from one to 10 and then showed up to, the next week to talk to his coach. And she said, okay, now you need to decide which of those things you're willing to sacrifice because nobody is ever going to be perfect for you. Nobody's ever going to meet all of your qualifications all the time um, because we're all human. We're all imperfect, you know, and it's just impossible to find that perfect match. But true love is experienced when you find somebody who's imperfect and you acknowledge your own imperfections, and then you make it your life's goal, your life's mission to make their life just amazing, mind-blowing, uh, electric, you know, fill it with passion, how can you make their dreams come true? How can you contribute to their happiness on a daily basis? And there's nothing on this world that is more satisfying and more fulfilling and more invigorating than being in a relationship and really just throwing yourself into loving somebody else. Mm -hmm. and, and loving openly. One, one question I have, and this is kind of interesting, this is me being vulnerable for this podcast and for the listeners because I think there is a lot of uh, value and kind of insight in this potentially. Uh, for me in my life for a long time, I actually associated love with pain. And the reason why was because uh, I saw my parents go through a rough divorce and I, you know, my, my definition of love just kind of morphed into something that was essentially a lie and wasn't the full truth of what uh, un unconditional love truly is. So I kind of closed myself off to love for several years just uh, kind of unconsciously, but I, I, I knew I associated love with pain. So 
for someone that, you know, there's a lot of people out there, and it's kind of interesting, too, because there's a lot of people that love themselves and they take care of themselves, and maybe they even take care of themselves more than most people do, and they, they feel like they love themselves, but they associate love with pain or love with with uh, some twisted uh, some twisted false truth. Well, false truth for you know for them essentially. So it's their truth, but it's false, universally speaking. Uh, yeah, yeah. According to the larger definition of love. So for people that are in a position in their lives where they feel like they want to open up to love and open up to a loving relationship, uh, but don't necessarily see it in its truest light, what kind of advice and insight would you give to them? Yeah, that's a, that's a re, that's a really interesting insight. Um, and I think that a lot of people struggle with that. They associate love with a lot of negative things because uh, at the end of the day, I think love is probably the scariest thing that a person can experience in life. Um, because you're literally putting your soul out there for somebody to accept or reject. You know, you're putting everything you have, if you're doing it right, you're laying yourself open and you're basically handing somebody a sword and saying, you can either fight for me or use it to kill me, you know. And um, there is, it's impossible to love without the risk of pain. It's impossible to love without the risk of abandonment. It's impossible to love without the risk of somebody taking advantage of you or hurting you or um, doing something malicious. It's just, a, it's just the nature of the beast. And unfortunately, like most investments, like it's a high risk, high reward thing. Um, if you go play the stock market and you can get you can get rich really fast if you have a, if you invest a lot of money in the right stock and it just explodes, or you can go bankrupt. You know. And the unfortunate thing with love is that you're not playing with money; you're playing with your yourself. And um, it can be really, really painful when we face that rejection. And, you know, everybody faces that from time to time. But I, I would just encourage people who are experiencing that, that pain to trust that love is real and to be willing to continue to take that risk because you'll never experience anything other than pain if you continue to lock your heart up and to resist love. If you refuse to open up to people and you refuse to offer of yourself and you refuse to, to love others, you'll never know anything more than loneliness and, and pain and, um, and, and a, a selfish version of love. Um, but when, as I've been able to experience uh, what it really looks like and feels like to be in a healthy, happy amazing relationship one they exist that's like awesome in and of itself and two it's it's almost impossible to describe what it looks like and i i haven't even been in a long-term super long-term healthy relationship like this but sitting at the feet of people who've been in it for 20 30 60 70 years even um like i sat at the feet of this couple who'd been married for over 70 years they were in their in their mid-90s and they were holding hands on the couch and they were joking around with each other. And I talked to him for an hour. And after the hour, he, he said, the, the husband um, said, you know, last night we were laying in bed together. And I just rolled over and pulled my wife in close. And I said to her, you know, dear, you're all right. You're all right. I'm glad I found you. 
And I'm like, how would it be after 73 years to be able to roll over and pull my wife close to me and tell her that I'm just so glad I found her, you know, and that I'm glad that I have her. And that, that type of thing exists, but it only exists if you're willing to take the risk of investing. Take the risk of like taking your from your emotional bank account and investing it into somebody else and hoping that the return hits there. But I guess the only the most encouraging part of that principle is that as people we have this unlimited capacity for love. Our bank account is endless. We decide where to cap our our bank account reservoirs. We decide when to restri- when to restrict the flow of love. So we have this unlimited bank account. We can literally love as many people as much as we allow ourselves to love. And we put the restriction on ourselves. So I would just I would just encourage people like yeah, sometimes you get really hurt and and love can really really hurt. But don't forget that you have an endless reservoir, an endless supply of love and that if you're willing to give people access to that and continue investing, it's just a matter of time before you find that payoff and that that investment returns you know, a hundredfold back to you. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, it, I, I like how you compare it to the, to the stock market because it's, it's really better than that because it's with the stock market, you can save your whole life and lose all of your money in a heartbeat. But with love and relationships, a relationship can go south and, you know, you can be hurt, but you can forgive and move forward very quickly if you choose to and choose to uh, understand yeah. the unlimited banking reservoir like you described as an awesome way of putting it. Uh, let's talk a bit about Unbox Love. I want the listeners to hear about this. I think it's an amazing service and uh, very timely in, in today's world. Like you said, there's not really many role models for healthy relationships. In fact, if you turn on the TV, it's usually the opposite. It's drama, yeah. it's fighting, and it's people laugh at it and encourage it and you know share it on social media. Uh, but beautiful relationships, loving relationships are so valuable and so much more rewarding than all the usury and drama and selfishness associated with uh, short-term relationships that have no meaning or fulfillment within them. So what is Unbox Love and and how's that going? So Unbox Love is a a month-to-month subscription service and basically what we do is we send couples a date in a box every single month and the box includes everything that they need to experience an evening together of like fun and excitement and probably doing something that they've never done before or at least haven't done in a really long time. And uh, the idea, kind of the principle behind it, why it's important is um, Esther Perel actually gave a, a TED Talk about passion and relationships. And in it, she talks about how a really healthy relationship consists of two opposing needs. One is the need for stability and reliability and like dependability for that consistency to be there for you to know that no matter what, your partner is going to be there for you no matter what. Like that's really important to have in a long-term relationship. But at the same time, there's also this need for excitement and for novelty and surprise and adventure. And a lot of times, especially the longer a couple is together and the more they experience together, the easier it is to just only fulfill the first part, which is the reliable part and the consistent part. And it's, it's hard to kind of include that, uh, the novelty and surprise and excitement. And that's why date night is so important is because it gives you an opportunity to get out of your routine, you know, to turn off the TV, to get away from your house, to go out and experience each other, have a conversation, do something new and exciting. And we found, or what at least what I've seen is that most couples, 
especially as they get busier and busier, they, you know, they have start to have kids. They start, you've got whatever, you've got school, you've got work, you've got house cleaning, you've got PTA meetings, you've got yard work, you've got a million excuses and things on your mind. And it's really easy to kind of uh, not put a lot of effort into date night and you get sucked into doing the same thing. You go to the same restaurant and go to a movie every single Friday night or maybe once a month if, um, in some cases or less in others. And so our idea is like, what if we could make that date night super, super easy for people? Like, what if all they had to do was open up a box and set aside two hours and they got to experience something really new and exciting? And so that's kind of what we've dedicated our business to is to providing really cool, fun experiences for couples to experience a little bit of excitement and novelty in their relationship. And it's been going really well. Um, A lot of couples have really jumped on board and they see the value and they, I think they really look forward to not having to plan anything while still being able to have an evening together doing something that they wouldn't have done otherwise. That's awesome. I think it's such a cool service and it has so much value, and I hope uh, the listeners who are in a committed relationship uh, check it out and sign up for it. Uh, one final question I have for you. Uh, there's something I'm kind of fascinated with. It's called biomimicry. Are you familiar with that by any chance? I'm not. Tell me about it. Okay, so basically biomimicry is uh, humans mimicking nature to some degree, mimicking the biology of of something within nature. So a lot of new technology and innovation and all these different things kind of use biomimicry as its base source to evolve, if you will, in the human world from the natural world. So this is kind of an out-of-the-box question, but I think we can... If we look at nature and the wilderness and the wild, if you will, we can learn a lot from it. So having said that, what in nature, whether it be uh, plants, animals, whatever, what in nature mimics the relationship that we can watch and learn unconscious lessons from to develop and, and be stronger and uh, more creative and inspired in our, in our loving relationships? That's a great question. Uh, the first thing that came to my mind is just is like a plant. For a plant to really grow and thrive, you can't just you can't put a seed on a table and it's just going to grow. Like a seed won't grow by itself. It needs it needs like nutrients from the soil, it needs water, it needs sunlight, and when you include all these uh these ingredients, suddenly a, a plant can grow and bear fruit. And I think you can apply that to just to life or love in general in that we can't, we can't do this alone. Like you can't grow and flourish by yourself. You absolutely need, and on top of that, everybody else brings a different strength or skill to the table, but you need, you need the nutrients of other people. You need the sunlight of other people. You need the nourishing water of other people in your life to really grow and flourish. And I think that when you allow yourself to be like submersed and surrounded by good people and you allow yourself to accept help and um, be affected by the people that you care about and love, that's, and when you're willing to also contribute back, that's when you experience maximum growth and suddenly you find yourself in a forest, you know? Awesome. Awesome answer. Thank you so much for your time. Where can our listeners find you? What are your websites where they can connect with you further and learn more about uh, your interviews on, on love and relationships? Uh, you can find more about uh, love and relationships on loveumentary.com, and you can subscribe to Unbox Love at unboxlove.com. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, and uh, have an awesome rest of the day. 
Thank you, man. I appreciate it. You too. Take care.